All right, Psalm, Psalm 55. This message has been on my heart, and this has happened several times in my ministry, really in the last three or four years. It's happened uh, not very often, but on occasion, where God will put a thought in my heart. I'll sit down, I'll start preparing the sermon, start getting my thoughts together, or I'll start putting everything on paper and so forth, and then realized that I had a sermon on the same type of topic that I'd preached in the past, and I'd pull up the file from my computer and look at it, and it's like almost the same stuff as it was in the past. So, I don't know, maybe this is just a very limited brain here, but uh, anyhow, this is a message that I've revamped. It's, it's a new message because I worked on it as if it's a new message. But actually, it's very similar to a message that I preached five years ago on a Sunday night here at Temple Baptist. And so we're in Psalm 55. I'll introduce the topic here in a moment. But first, let's read our text. Psalm 55, verse number 16. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God." He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction." Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. Notice the contrast that David is making between him and them. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, why do we resist change? Why do we resist change? Look at verse 18 and 19 once again. Let's read it. He that hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me for There were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them. Even he that abideth of old, Selah, because they have no changes. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Let's pray. Father, bless the message today. I pray, Father, for your help as your messenger. I pray for your hand to be upon me. Help me to bring this message to this congregation at this time and May you use it in our hearts. Lord, there are things that we need to change in this upcoming year. We need grace. We need strength. We need help. We pray, Father, that you'd use the sermon today to be exactly that in all of our hearts and lives. We pray if anyone here is not saved, that you'd speak to their heart. Bring them to a saving knowledge of you as only you can. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Change. The mere mention of it strikes fear in the heart of many. Truth is, we don't like change. The first mention of the word change in the Scripture is not a positive mention. Genesis 31.7, 
where Jacob said, Your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times. little bait and switch going on. Telling you one thing, but doing another. That's the first context of the word change. Typically, it's not in a very positive light. Certainly, there is foolishness with instability. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 21, My son, fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. You know, there are some people that change is just so much part of their life that they're unstable, and that's certainly not a positive connotation. When we're young, we're always looking for change. We're looking forward to getting old enough, strong enough, mature enough to do the things that we've been looking forward to doing. By the way, let me just throw out a little parenting tip, uh, something that needs to be said in this day and age that we're living in. Wouldn't you agree that we live in a day and age where we get to do a whole lot more things than in past generations? We, we are, we are, you can use the word blessed, you can use the word spoiled, you can use the word, whatever word you want to use, the bottom line is that there is so much entertainment and amusement and participation in things that is accessible to uh, even little children today. And I think that there is a danger in giving our children too much too soon. You should always be patient, and children should learn to live with the fact that, hey, you're not old enough. You, I know you want to do this, but you have to wait. And so that there's always something out in front of them that they're looking forward to, that they're working toward, and, and so forth. But when we give them too much too soon, then they're always looking for something a little bit more. You may have the means and you may have the time and the ability to do all kinds of things, but think about your children's future. And you know, if all of the things that are fun and things that they're looking forward to, if they've already experienced them by the time that they're 10, they hit their teenage years and there's really nothing to look forward to that's holy or healthy. So parents, discipline yourself. Don't always say yes, and certainly do not spoil your children because you may be enjoying it now, you're going to regret it in the future. So that's just a little parenting tip that I wanted to throw in for free. As we get older, we discover that most changes are not welcome. I think some of the things we look forward to and then we end up getting disappointed, or it just never the... The uh, reality doesn't live up to the expectation. And we find that most changes in life as we get older are not pleasant changes. And because of that, we unknowingly respond with resistance. We read about David. David was a world changer. Wouldn't you agree with me that David changed the world around him? He didn't accept that Goliath was so big and intimidating He said, look, this is God's battle. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David was not a man that just sat back and said, oh, well, I guess there's nothing we can do. No, David said, look, we need to change this world around us. We need to fight. We need to battle. 
We need to lead. And David was very good at producing change around him. But he contrasts his life with the life of those that are not following the Lord. And he said, because they have no changes. David would create change around him, but I'll tell you what David was very good at. He was good at allowing God to change him. He didn't resist God's changes in his life. And so why do we resist change? The first thing, number one, that I want to, I want to point out this morning is some people don't want to change. I discovered this years ago. I used to preach this all the time. Man, come to Christ and He'll change your life. And nobody would come. And then I realized people don't want their lives changed. They're perfectly fine with their life. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that if you have a life that maybe you're doing what you want to do, living how you want to live, if you're going to die one day, and you will, and you end up going to hell... We talked about that in Sunday school. The rich man, he didn't anticipate going to hell, but he did. In hell, he lift up his eyes. If you live your life the way that you want to live it, but your ultimate destination for eternity is an unpleasant place, what would you consider yourself? I would say that, okay, stupid. I didn't say it. It certainly would be foolish. To live your life and not thinking about the next life. Because the next life is eternal. This life is going to seem like a little vapor. Like a blink of the eye in comparison to all of eternity. Some people just simply don't want to change. Why is that? You ever notice that some of the people that need to change the most are the ones that don't want to the most? Well, first of all, I'd have to say that there are people who love their sin and their self. They hate the light. They, they don't want the light of God's Word shining on their heart. They may be okay with the sermon, the preacher talking about light, but they're not going to let their conscience get in a place where God can actually shine that light on their heart. You know, there are people that have learned how to sit through Bible preaching and already preconditioned themselves to walk out of these doors unchanged. Oh, I, I, I lived four or five years of my life that way. Man, I was in church and I heard messages. If you were to talk to me when I was a teenager, I, I even argued with some of my buddies over Bible beliefs. I'd argue with them, but I'd go to church week in and week out and I would leave the church service unchanged from when I came into that church service. Now, I, I, don't, I don't fault the modern movement today that says, come as you are. I'm okay with that. I can promise you, uh, this is the God's honest truth, I've not paid attention to a single person that comes to this, came to this service this morning as to what you're wearing. I don't even pay any attention to that, as long as you're clothed. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, and you know, I was at doing some shopping for my wife just before Christmas. And here right before Christmas, I think it was last Monday, it was a real cold, rainy day. Remember that day? Just cold and rainy. 
and I noticed that in the store that I was at, every female that I saw was running around in their underwear. Seriously. You do understand that tights are underwear, don't you? They might as well be. Did it get quiet in here? Wow. Well, fine. Run around in your underwear if you want to. But I mean, I'm just, it's like, it's just unreal how that's like, how could you show yourself in public like that? (laughs) All right, I'm moving on. All right, keep your seatbelt buckled. No spiritual airbags are going to be deployed in the pew in front of you. We can get through this. But, you know, a lot of people just don't want to change. And just like I learned how to, oh, I know what I was trying to say. Come as you are, but don't leave as you came. Right? The truth of God's Word is supposed to change us. Amen? We're supposed to come Yes, as we are, everybody comes to Christ as a sinner. If you're thinking that you've got to clean yourself up to come to Christ, listen, you're never going to come, you're never going to get clean enough to deserve to come to Christ. So you have to come as a sinner, just as you are, praise the Lord. And God says, look, you come as you are as a sinner, and I'll clean you up. And by the way, when a person gets truly saved, it starts having... It may be a little slow for some, it may be faster for others, but boy, it's got a cleaning up effect on our life. The Holy Spirit moves in, all of a sudden, there's things that we used to do that now we do it and, man, it's kind of making me feel a little bit guilty here. You know what that's called, don't you? It's called conviction. And to the believer who has repented and accepted Christ, it's a welcome thing. God, please don't let me... Don't leave me alone. Please bother me. I'm glad when I got right with the Lord that God started bothering me more than before. You know what? He was always bothering me, but I think that I had just learned how to tune Him out. It's dangerous territory. You can come to church and you can learn, you can love your sin so much that you just precondition yourself that, hey, I'm not changing. Jeremiah 13, verse 23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. You know, every time we do something bad, it it becomes part of our character, of who we are. And sometimes we will look at sinners and we don't segregate behavior from person in everybody else, but we have a tendency of doing that with ourselves. Well, yeah, I do some bad things, but I'm a good person. Everybody else that does bad things are bad people, but not us, right? we got to be careful. Every time that we do something, you say, well, are you telling me, preacher, that God doesn't forgive me? Oh, no, God will forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed before or after salvation. Praise the Lord for that. But we still reap what we sow. And when we sin against the Lord, 
it has an internal effect upon our conscience. And that can, over time, that can make it to where God's speaking to us, but we just don't hear His voice. I I think that the hardness of the heart is when we are exposed to light, but we reject it. Jesus said of the Pharisees, He said, your ears are dull of hearing. You know one of the most dangerous places for someone to be that doesn't want to do right is in a church like this where they're going to have the light of God's Word shine to them? You say, that doesn't make sense. Well, if somebody just says, you know what, I ain't changing. I'm gonna, I'm, I know I'm doing wrong. I'm going to keep doing wrong, but I still want to get preached to. All you're doing is saying, God, I want my heart to be hardened. Jesus said, your ears become dull of hearing, and that is a dangerous, dangerous way to live, to say, I want to hear it, but I don't want to do it. Next, why do some people not want to change? Because they are comfortable. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 5, the children of Israel said, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Wow, they're out here in the wilderness and they remember all of their food and their spices and their fish. They forgot about the whips. They forgot about the sweat. They forgot about the bleeding hands as they're making brick and as they're gathering stubble. And if they didn't make enough, then those taskmasters, man, they're going to beat them. They forgot about Pharaoh saying, we're going to throw all of your baby boys in the river. What about that? They're not remembering any of that. They're just thinking about leeks and garlics. That's kind of silly, wouldn't you agree? But you know what? As they're in the wilderness and God is taking care of them with manna every morning, when they get thirsty, He's bringing water out of a rock. When they're in danger, He parts the Red Sea. But they don't know what to expect tomorrow. I mean, the pillar of fire might move on. It's like, okay, pull up the tent, let's follow. The cloud by day. It might move on. And it's like, okay, we, we don't know what tomorrow expects. They like, they valued their comfort so much that they actually had good memories about a horrible place and they had horrible thoughts about, I mean, an amazing, miraculous life that God was providing for them. There are a lot of people that, while that might be a little extreme, there are many, many people today in America that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they don't want to receive Christ because they're afraid that God might make them uncomfortable. You know, I will say this, when Jesus shows up in your life, things do change. But they're not anything that you'll ever, ever regret. I remember when I got right with the Lord, uh, just before I turned 20, you know what? The only thing that I could think about after I got right with God, and God was so real to me, and I was so excited about God, all I could think about 
is all of the fun that I was having, the partying, my friends, and all of the filth of this world that I was wallowing around in, and I loved it so much, all of those pleasures, all I could think about is, what a fool was I? I thought I was having so much fun, but now I'm having fun. Now I've got peace in my heart. I've got joy. I've got true excitement. And it's not conditional upon my circumstances. The only thing that I could think about is, why didn't I do this sooner? I wish I had a dollar bill for every time that that thought entered my mind after I got right with the Lord. I mean, man, why, God, why didn't I do this sooner? Why was I so blind? Why was I so deceived? That just shows you the power of sin and the power of Satan. And we resist change because we, we just want to stay with things that we're familiar with. And then there are some that resist change because they're afraid. The Bible talks about the fearful and unbelieving in Revelation 21 and verse number 8. The fearful and unbelieving. God doesn't necessarily say what people are afraid of, but I know there are a lot of people that are just simply afraid of accepting God for fear that God's going to wreck your life. I said this a few weeks ago, and it's worth repeating. Let me tell you something. God is a very powerful God. He is holy. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. If He wants to wreck your life, He's going to do it without your permission. He does not need your permission or your say-so. And you know what? If you would just learn to trust Him that He's not only an all-powerful and all-knowing God, but He's a good God. And He loves you. He's not trying to control your life in the sense to make you miserable. He's trying to control your life so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. But there's just something that's got to take place in that stubborn human will where we raise up the, the white flag and say, God, I give in. I'm tired of trying to hide control from you. I'm trying to hang on in my stubbornness. I'm willing to just turn loose and give you the driver's seat of my life. Then and only then will you experience the joy that is knowing God. The fearful and unbelieving are going to have part in the fire that and brimstone, which is the second death. Those fearful and unbelieving there are lumped right in there with murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters. It, even though it's a very common sin, it's still a very horrible sin in God's eyes when we say to God, God, I, I just, I can't trust you. Um, I'm just going to maintain control of my own life because I don't think that you're good. It really is a greater insult to God than we realize. And so some people don't change for various reasons. And then number two, some try to change but are unsuccessful. I've had, I've experienced some of this in my own life. Have you? Why? Why do we try to change but end up failing? Uh, sometimes it's because we have the wrong motives. In Jeremiah 2, verse 36, Why gaddest thou about so much to change thy way? Thou also shalt be ashamed of Egypt as thou wast ashamed of Assyria. Jeremiah the prophet is talking to the nation of Israel and he's saying, 
Why, you know, that, that word gaddest. You know, we talk about people gadding about. Why gaddest thou so much to change thy way? You know what Israel was doing? They were trying to change who they were to impress Egypt and to impress Assyria. They saw all of the kingdoms and nations around them, their glory, their splendor. They had a king and all of these things. And they said, we want to be like them. And the whole time God's saying, you're wanting to impress them. You're willing to change to impress them, but they were not willing to change to please the Lord. They had the wrong motives. If you go out and you try, you can try to be a Christian. You can try to be the best Christian in this church. If you're doing it to impress the people of this church or the preacher or even your parents, if you do it for the wrong motives, I got news for you. You're going to fail pretty short term. You're going to get tired and weary and you're going to find that, hey, I just cannot do it on my own. The reason being is because you're not going to have God's help because He knows our heart and He knows our motives. The next thing under why we try to change but are unsuccessful is because sometimes we only want our circumstances to change. How often have I counseled people, maybe with marriage problems, imminent divorce, and they come in and they say, Pastor, will you help me with my marriage? Well, sure, I'll, I'll do the best I can. I'll, I'll try. And you talk to them and you start finding out what's going on and you start pinpointing some things that are going on. And you start talking about some needed change. I have seen this, I bet I've seen this a hundred times in my ministry, where the person that came that wanted the help, when you start pinpointing something in their life that needed to change, all of a sudden now, they're not near as desirous of help as they were. See, they wanted you to fix their spouse. Or they wanted you to fix their marriage, but they weren't willing to allow God to fix them. You know, the, the term marriage, our marriages are not an entity of ourself. Our marriages are. My marriage is me and my wife. And for my marriage to change, either I have to change or my wife has to change or both of us have to change. And if we're unwilling to change, then our marriage will not change. You can change some of your circumstances. I mean, you can, you can put a coat of paint on a building, but underneath, you've got the same foundation, you've got the same walls, you've got the same roof. You can change some tech, you know, technical things. You can make all kinds of outward change, but ultimately, we are still who we are. So a lot of times people only want their circumstances to change and when that doesn't happen, they just kind of, well, well, I guess this God thing didn't work. Oh, let me tell you something. God has never lost a battle. And Jesus Christ works in every single case. But a lot of times our motives or our, what we're actually looking for is not what God is wanting to do in our life. And then there's those who only want moderate change. I want to change, but I don't want to change too much. You know, I, I, I it's like what Peter said in 2 Peter 2.22, it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is 
turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You know, a lot of people say, you know what, I just, I've got an upset stomach, I just want to get it out. I'm dirty and I just want to get a bath. But what God's saying is, I don't want you to be a dog or a hog, I want you to be a lamb. I want you to be one of my children. I want to completely revolutionize your life and make you into something that's totally new. I want to change you from the inside out. And there's a lot of people that just say, I only want to just change the outward. I want to, you know, I'm willing to change what I do on Sundays, but I don't want to change what I do on Monday. And what God says is, I want to change everything about you. You know what? I, uh, I've got a long ways to go, and, and I'm the first to admit that. But I can say this, that today, I, uh, I, please don't take this wrong. If you would have known me years ago, I can say in honesty, not in pride, but in honesty, I am more like Jesus today than I was 10 years ago. Now, I'm not, I'm not as much like Jesus as I ought to be, but I'm more like him than I was 10 years ago and certainly more than I was 30 years ago, way more than I was 35 years ago. You know what? God has worked changes in my life. He's put me through some trials and some troubles and some griefs and some sorrows, some pain. And sometimes that pain and that suffering has um, kind of kind of beat out the me in me, and then he's replaced it with the him. And that's what he wants to do. He wants us to change and be more like Jesus Christ and less like ourselves. I don't, I don't want to say, well, that's just the way that I am. Too bad. I, well, I, I don't want to be the way that I am. I want to be the way that he is. And that should be the desire of all of us as Christians. Number three, some people changed, but it didn't last. Why is that? Well, some people try in their own power. Galatians 2.3, Paul says, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Listen, believer, I guarantee if you've been saved or been following the Lord for any length of time, you have experienced this fault where you got some of these things fixed in your life, you started establishing some good habits, you started going to church more faithful, and back in the early days when you first got right with the Lord, you I mean, you were so scared that you'd go back to the old life. You were so scared of certain besetting sins or temptations that you didn't go anywhere near them because you didn't want to go back to that old life. And then as time goes on, you start becoming a little more self-sufficient. You start thinking, you know what, I think I got this. And then you start coasting. And the next thing you know, you're going backward. And it happens so slowly. Having begun in the Spirit, when we first got saved or first got right with the Lord, we realized how dependent that we were on God's help with that childlike dependence. Don't ever lose it, believer. Don't ever lose it. We've got to be dependent upon the Lord and follow, continue 
to walk in the Spirit and not think that we can do it by our own self-discipline or by our own character. Then you've got some that could not handle the adversity. Jesus tells the story about the sower of seeds that went out. And in Mark chapter 4, He says that, and it came to pass as He sowed, some fell by the wayside, and some fell on stony ground, and some fell among thorns. Some people, the change doesn't last because the condition of their heart is not pliable. It is not good soil for those seeds to grow in. Some people care about uh, all of the riches of this world and get distracted. Some, when persecution or trial comes. You know, in America today, especially in this day and age, do you know that there are people that will go to an evangelical church because it's considered socially cool? Well, yeah, this is the place I'm a businessman or I'm, you know, I'm in this community. This is the church to go where you're kind of considered elite because you go to this good church. If we're following the Lord, the social benefit or status of our Christianity hey, it should mean absolutely nothing. We should have the same heart. You know, there are places all over this world. Do you know to be a a Bible-believing independent Baptist in the Middle East? Can you imagine standing on the street corner like what we do here and basically telling everybody "This this is what we believe? You're not going to be popular in much of the world. In America, you can be. And you know what? That, if we're not careful, can be detrimental to our spiritual growth. And there are a lot of people that just cannot handle the adversity. There's going to be trials and tribulations. God can bless and you can be fruitful even with that adversity, but not not if you're thinking that Christianity is just going to solve all of your problems. Hey, the only thing that's going to solve all of our problems is the return of Jesus Christ. I can remember that some of the radio preachers of and, and televangelists of years gone by would They'd basically have an invitation and say, come forward and accept Christ and all your problems will be solved. You want to know the truth? You accept Christ today, you're going to be dealing with problems that you never have had to deal with before. But you're going to be happy because the real problems, Jesus is going to take care of them but it's not going to mean that your life is perfect and wonderful. In fact, there are some who accept Christ as their Savior and their life becomes terrible. Hey, have you ever read about the Christian martyrs of yesteryear? People who wouldn't recant and they literally were tortured. Why do we think that we're any better than them? We are no better than them. It's the same salvation. It's the same Lord. We're just living in a different day and age and we would be wise to recognize it. Oh God, I didn't get my way. I'm mad at you. You just don't care and you don't love me. You know what? That is the most selfish, bratty, spiritual attitude to have. We ought to have the attitude that God, 
my life's not going so well right now. My circumstances are really, really bad. But you know what? It's a whole lot better than what I deserve. That's the kind of attitude that God blesses. And that's the kind of attitude that when God makes changes in your life, they will be lasting changes. And then there are some people that change, but it doesn't last. Why? Because they don't get help. Why are we so proud? I mean, if we need help with our computer program, what do we do? We call an expert, don't we? If you need help with your plumbing, trust me, call an expert. Ignore the guy down at the box store that says you can handle this. Don't do it. (laughs) Some things, yes, but not plumbing. Why is it that for all kinds of things in life, we go and get help, but when it comes to our Christianity, our walk with the Lord, we just simply are too private or embarrassed and we won't get help. Galatians 6, 1-3, through Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Then verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are here to support one another in our Christian life. We're here to hold one another accountable. We're here. Listen, hopefully when I'm having a time of weakness, you're having a time of strength and you can support me. Hopefully when you're having a time of weakness, maybe, and I'm doing well, I can come along and I can support you in your weakness and we can all get through this and we can... we can. We can last, we can endure, and we can persist and keep on going on for the Lord. But listen, if you need help, get help. God's given you pastors, and He's given you friends and people to fellowship with. And some of you have Christian parents. And boy, there are people all throughout this congregation that has some experience in the Christian life. Sometimes you just need to say, hey, I'm struggling This area, will you pray for me? Don't be so proud or embarrassed that you rob yourself of the help that God has placed in your life in order to help you um, be consistent and to endure those tough times. As we close here this morning, I want to talk to you about some changes that God can make. God can change your destination Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He can change your desires. Romans 6.18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I thank God that He changed the desires of my heart when I got right with Him. God can also change your destiny. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What are some things about me that I need to change? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I asked myself that question at about, oh, it was probably six o'clock this morning as I was getting all the finishing touches on this sermon. I asked myself that question. I got a little three by five card out and I started writing down a number of things that I knew, that I know in my heart of heart that I need to change 
in this upcoming year? What are some things about me that need to be changed? Maybe it's our personal devotions, our time in Bible reading and prayer. Maybe it's our faithfulness to ministry or even faithfulness to church. Hey, can I challenge some of you that just come on Sunday mornings to maybe once a month say, hey, I'm going to add a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and just go one extra time from what I've been going? I mean, it's not going to rock your world. It's not going to just consume your schedule, but maybe get in on just a little bit more preaching and teaching than what you've been getting on. Maybe you've got some issues of personal health that you need to work on, that you need to change. Maybe you've got some bad, um, some bad diet habits. That's rotten of me to say after Christmas, isn't it? Well, listen, I know this. I know that I've got to make some changes because the holiday season and shoulder surgery, it's like, wow, I had lost so much weight. I think, I'd lost a a bunch of weight. I started to say a ton of weight. No, it wasn't that much. But then I got on the scales a couple days ago, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow, it comes off so slow. It comes back on so fast. But that's a change that I need to make. I don't want to get unhealthy again. I don't want to have a shortened life or ministry. I want to be able to serve the Lord into my old age. And listen, there are some things that we can do that it's not going to be an overnight fix, but I wonder how many people could get off of prescription medicine if they just made some daily, simple lifestyle changes. Our personal finances. Maybe we need to take a look at where we're at in our finances and maybe... Uh, reduce some debt this upcoming year. Maybe uh, give some more to the work of God. Give more to missions. Start maybe give to the building fund or doing something more than what you've been doing. Maybe there's some changes that you need to make in your family or relationships. Maybe in your with your spouse, more quality time or being a little bit. Um, a little bit more thoughtful. There's all kinds of things that we know that we're not where we need to be. We need to stop being so defensive or so comfortable and say, you know what, God, would you help me to make these changes in my life? You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to get out there and just muster it all up. You just have to each day say, God, These are some things that I know I need to work on. God, would you help me with this? You would find that God is ready to help us if we're just willing to ask. If we're just willing to trust Him for the power and the strength and the grace that we need. All of these things that we need to change, I know that sometimes we think about goals and Somebody mentioned um, last night at prayer meeting about New Year's resolutions. Hey, you're looking at somebody who's had all kinds of attempts to do certain things and to make certain changes, and I've ended up ultimately failing. I know that you're probably the same way. Uh, We've tried to do things, we've had goals, and we've set out, and within a month, 
we revert back to our old ways. Water seems to seek its own level. I know and I understand that. But I also know that in anything that is of any value in God's eyes, we've got to learn how to put order and structure in our life. And we need to value that order, but we need to remember that we're not serving our goals. We're serving our Savior. We value structure, but we serve our Savior. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20, the Scripture tells us plainly, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh. What's that next word? It doesn't say for us. It doesn't say with us. It says in us. Too often we pray for everything outside of us. We pray for God to do this or to give this. Nothing wrong with that. But what we need to focus on is God do something in me. Because much of our life, if we would allow God to change us on the inside, the outward things would take care of themselves. This upcoming year is 2020. When I think of 2020, I think of clear vision. Maybe, and I'd like to challenge you this, if You've taken to heart what we've heard here today and you know that there are some things that you need to try to change in this upcoming year. Let me encourage you, don't don't think about the whole year. Just think about the next 21 days. They say that if you will do the right thing 21 days in a row, then for most people, that develops a habit. 21 days. Hey, I, I know there are some things that I need to change. If I think about the whole year, wow, I get overwhelmed. I think that's ah, just too much. I know I'm probably not going to make it. How about just the next three weeks saying, God, I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to write out the things that I know that you would want me to improve on, to start doing what I know is right, and I'm going to write it down And the next 21 days, I'm going to figure out how to do it. I'm going to schedule it. I'm going to remind myself. I'm going to ask somebody to be my accountability partner and to call me each day or I'll call them and say, hey, did you read your Bible? Did you spend time in prayer? Listen, I did. Whatever the case may be, whether you need an accountability partner, whether you need post-it notes. You know, remember the, the yellow little sticky pad notes? I used to have them all over everything. Now I've got a phone that I can set a day and a time and it will remind me when to change my furnace filter. It'll remind me when to kiss my wife. No, I don't do that. That just comes so natural. Whatever it takes to just trust God and to give it our best shot, 21 days, you might be surprised at what God would do because He is able to do exceeding abundantly 
above all that we ask or think. Let's stop resisting the change that God wants to make in our life. And let's just say, God, I'm open and I'm willing. Will you help me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the changes that you've made in our life. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to stop being complacent and comfortable. Help us, Father, to continue going forward in our relationship with you. Bless this invitation time. I pray, Father, that we would accept the challenge, Lord, to allow you to make the changes that you want to make in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.